Hey friends, you know what I don't miss at all? That vicious week before the period. Feeling like I'm ready to crawl out of my skin, irritated by everything and everyone around me. Bouncing between cravings for salty foods and sweets and back again. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control from Happy Mammoth. Estro Control contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a menstruating person's life. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what people mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Happy Mammoth products, including Estro Control. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CORP, C-O-R-P, at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code C-O-R-P for 15% off today. Yo, partnership alert, partnership alert, partnership alert. Living Corporate has a partnership with LinkedIn Learning an American massive open online course provider that provides video courses taught by industry experts across a wide array of subjects. Now, the partnership is because Living Corporate has courses on LinkedIn Learning focused on diversity, equity, inclusion for leaders, career professionals, and anyone really looking to upskill themselves and be better allies. So make sure you check out our courses on LinkedIn Learning by clicking the link in the show notes. And let's just say you don't want to do that. You go to LinkedIn Learning on LinkedIn, search Living Corporate. We'll be right there. All right. Peace. Hey, everybody. This is See It to Be It, the Wednesday podcast from Living Corporate. Living Corporate is a digital media network that centers and amplifies black and brown people at work. My name is Amy C. Wanninger, and I'm the host of See It to Be It. When I was growing up in rural Southern Indiana, I didn't know people who went to college or who worked in professional roles. I didn't know what those jobs looked like or how to break into them. For that matter, I didn't even know a lot of the jobs existed. But this show isn't about me, it's about my guests. Every week, I bring you career stories from everyday role models in jobs you may not know exist. More importantly, the folks I interview share their perspectives as black and brown professionals in jobs and environments where they may be the only. My guest today is Brian Newkirk. He's a supplier diversity professional by day, and he is also a career coach in his spare time helping people overcome some of the obstacles that he was grateful to have help in overcoming. I'm really excited about this interview, but before we get there, we're going to tap in with Tristan for some career advice. What's going on, y'all? It's Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting, and I've teamed up with Living Corporate to bring you all a weekly career tip. Today, we're going to dive into what a skills gap analysis is and how you can conduct one. When we finally figure out the exact job we want to get, oftentimes we are not qualified right off the bat to apply and get it. We may need to gain new skills, credentials, or experience to position ourselves as the best candidate. But the, qu the question is, how do you figure out what skills and steps you need to take? While this can be answered in many ways, a skills gap analysis is a great place to start. 
So I wanted to take a moment to walk you through how you can conduct a skills gap analysis to help you figure out what skills you need to develop to get into that new role. Step one, analyze the requirements. When doing this, there are a few questions you wanna consider for both the job you want and the employer you're considering. For the job, you wanna ask, what are the roles and responsibilities? What task will I be performing? What technical skills, language skills, or industry knowledge is needed? And what type of education, certifications, or experience is required? Now, for the employer, you wanna ask, where is the company headed? What skills do they need, not only now, but in the future? And what are their objectives or values? Now, in the next step, step two, you wanna do a self-assessment. This step requires you to assess what skills and qualifications you currently have. Now, sometimes it's a little hard for us to really identify the skills and qualifications we currently have. So you may wanna consult your manager, your mentor, or your professional network to gain a more holistic view of your skills. You just wanna get perspective on what knowledge, skills, and ability you currently have. Step three, identify the gaps. Here, you're going to compare your skills to the skills required by the employer, which you identified in step one. You're comparing where you currently are to where you want to be. Anything that is present on the employer's required skills list and absent on your skills list is a gap, and that is where you wanna focus for the next step. Step four, create an action plan. Here, you figure out how to bridge those gaps that you've identified throughout the analysis. Some of the items that you can do to bridge those gaps may include things like mentoring, interning, more schooling, online courses, certifications, training programs, conferences, reading, volunteering, etc. You wanna make sure that the goals that you set here in your action plan are smart. And when I say that, I mean that they are specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. Step five, the last step, execute. This last step is get out there and get it done. So I thank you for joining me again. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. I'll be talking to you soon. Living Corporate is brought to you by the Liberated Love Notes Podcast, part of the Living Corporate Network. The Liberated Love Notes podcast is a starting point for integrating self and community affirmations into your daily practices. The Liberated Love Notes podcast center the experience of black folks existing in white systems and speaks to overcoming imposter syndrome, disrupting injected and internalized forms of oppression, embodying an abundance mindset and building a healthy racial identity. Check out Liberated Love Notes podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Hosted by Brittany Janae Harris. Welcome back to See It to Be It. My guest today is Brian Newkirk. Brian also goes by the Woke Career Coach on Instagram, and he's a corporate finance professional with over 20 years of experience. Brian's a career coach who helps clients discover their passions and incorporate those passions into their job search strategy. Brian is passionate about promoting diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, advocating for social justice and mental health. He is currently pursuing his master's degree in mental health counseling. Brian, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. So I typically like to start off with how did we meet? And I actually, in the pre, pre-recording conversation with Brian, I'm like, how did we meet? So I think we found each other on LinkedIn. Is that correct, Brian? Yes, that is correct. I was 
doing some research on um, bias and I came across your book, Networking and Bias or Networking Through Bias. Forgive me for destroying the name of your book. Oh, that's book. okay. <laughs> it, it's Network Beyond Bias, available Network on Amazon. Bias. Ding. Go ahead. <laughs> Sponsored plug. Um, <laughs> and I, I just started following you. Um, and I've, and I also joined your wonderful book course because I still have aspirations of publishing a book. So um, yeah, that's how we first met up and through interactions on LinkedIn, um, we became part of each other's network. Thank you for the for the backstory. Sometimes I forget. I saw somebody tweet the other day. Um, there, it was like a pitch, right? And it said Spotify, except for how do I know this person, right? <laughs> like that would be <laughs> such a great thing if I had that, if I could just scan somebody's face and be like, and here's the backstory. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm really excited to have you on the show. We will get that book done um, just as soon as you're ready. But Brian, can you talk just a little bit about um, what it is you do? What is your, let's start with day job, because I know you got a couple things going on, but talk to us about what your day job is. Yes, my day job as of September, 2021, I work in supply diversity for a large financial institution. And that job involves connecting my organization with marginalized businesses, Black-owned, women-owned, LGBTQ, veteran, disabled veteran, any business considered disadvantaged, and bringing those two together to, to really um, create opportunities for these businesses and to bring diversity to our procurement chain. So that is my primary responsibility um, externally and internally is really just a campaign to promote our program, to initiate a culture change of simply considering diverse suppliers beyond what, what our business has traditionally, the businesses we've traditionally have dealt with. So trying to get people and leaders within our organization to consider. I know we've done business with this company for over 20 years. Is there a possibility for us to look at other options? Um, again, diversity brings multiple ideas to the table. It also brings competitive pricing when it comes to services. So it's it really is a win-all for everyone. So that is what I am doing as of this moment. I love this because so folks who have watched who have listened to the show, I almost said watched um, folks who have listened to the show in the past know that I've interviewed people who are um, on the other side of supplier diversity. I interviewed uh, uh, Michelle, who used to work. I think she's changed jobs now, but she used to work for WeBank, which is the Women's Business Enterprise yes. National Council. She works for Great Lakes. Do you know me, Michelle? No, no, I'm okay. familiar with WeBank. Okay. Shout and out. so she actually, you know, she's part of the, one of these certifying bodies that helps small businesses like mine get certified as women business enterprises. And I think you're the first supplier diversity professional that we've had on the corporate buyer side to say, and over here is where we actually try to get these small businesses, these minority owned, women owned, LGBTQ owned businesses into the company so that two things happen. Number one, um, the, the big enterprise gets the benefit of kind of a diverse supply chain, which is important for a lot of reasons from a risk management perspective. Um, but then also, you know, helping kind of reinvest in the community 
because there right. are so many small businesses that are really people don't realize that small businesses are the economic engine of the country that about 80% of, of people work for a small business in the U S yeah, exactly. And, and it's, you really have to respect these smaller businesses because they are taking their power back. You know, it, it could easily, it's easy to fall into the, the corporate chain or the corporate factory line and just do business as usual versus saying, you know what, I have something different to offer. I am capable of doing this myself and organizing yourself to put yourself out there, create your own business, create competitive services. So it's, it's really amazing. It is scary as hell. I'm going to tell you as somebody who did that, <laughs> it is a terrifying leap of faith. Um, I want to go back a little bit because, you know, you talk about being a corporate finance professional and I want to actually, I want to kind of untangle your career path, but can we start with what did you even major in in college? And then how did you kind of get from there into corporate finance into supply chain? Oh, so I advise everyone not to follow my, my path, my career path, but I majored in psychology at the College of the Holy Cross. Um, and as soon as I graduated, I said, no more, <laughs> no more school, just let me find a job. So eventually- And then you're I, going back for your master's degree. So I think that no more school thing is maybe, maybe on hold. Yeah, never say never. <laughs> but um, shortly after school, I um, found found my corporate job with the help of a friend's referral. And for many, many years, too many years, it it was really just um, keep the lights on. You know, I have a job, I'm getting a paycheck that allows me to do things that I like to do or that I want to do. And so everything is copacetic. And there was, there was a lack of ambition on two fronts. One, having the mentality that um, anything that I will get um, will be given to me if I work hard enough. And two, just a fear of, of leaving that lane I was already in. Um, I've, I've always had a passion for teaching for helping others. And I would always talk myself out of it over years, <laughs> whether I can't afford the pay cut, I'm not smart enough to go back to school. Um, just, just those negative thoughts just conquered me for so many years. So the change really came beyond my control. Um, and in 2001, Oh my God, I am losing track of time. No, in 2012, um, my wife passed away suddenly. And, oh my goodness, Brian, I am so sorry. Oh, thank you, thank you. Um, yeah, my wife passed away suddenly, um, leaving me with a four-year-old and a seven-week-year-old. So that completely turned my life upside down in so many ways. So trying to figure out, um, one, how to survive, you know, keep the roof over our head, um, how, how to transition to single parenting, and eventually figuring out what I'm going to do with my job. Um, 
thankfully I had so many support systems that that came that came to me um, during that period. Um, so what ended up ha happening was um, a lot of family came to ma manage and watch the kids. Um, I went back to work and things were functioning up to a certain point. So um, one thing about masculinity, what I like to call toxic masculinity is you don't show your weakness. You don't show when you can't handle things. So, or express your feelings. So I dove right into work, like work became my staple and I would transition to single parenting on the weekends. And that was a tough shift. Um, but eventually um, the body keeps the score, which is an amazing, amazing book about trauma and work diving into work started to backfire. Um, and my performance and how I relate to people in my world, both professionally and personally, and something had to give. So multiple things happened around the same time. One, I started um, mental health therapy for the first time in my life. Two, I slowly started feeding my brain with seeds of change, <laughs> you know, whether it be picking up a couple self-help books, listening to a few podcasts, slowly reprogramming my brain towards change, more specifically, positive change focused on me instead of what I put out into the world. That eventually led me to working with a career coach, which allowed me to change a few positions within my organization. Um, and from that, let's see, that puts me in about four years ago. So around that time, I also decided to go into career coaching since I benefited from it so much. And I had a history of working with um, um, managing teams and working with my employees and having real deep um, career conversations. Of course, starting with don't do what I did. <laughs> this is what you should do. <laughs> um, so from career coaching, I found that one of the biggest issues is that negative self-talk, um, something I've dealt with with well over a decade. And clients just talk themselves out of opportunities, talk themselves out of what they're actually capable of despite the proof. And um, I just wanted to go so much deeper with that. So through career coaching, I help people with that and wanting to go deeper and simultaneously just seeing a string of um, celebrity suicides. And um, I believe the um, rising suicide rate among um, black youth um, really triggered me to say, you know what, I could probably do something more about this. So I took the plunge into going back to grad school. Um, surprisingly, I got accepted and amazingly I'm doing well and I absolutely love it. So I think that brings us back to today. Yeah, that was, that was an amazing, uh, journey that you just took us on. And, you know, you said a couple things in there. Um, that I think were really powerful that I want to just kind of put 
put a little bit more focus on for our listeners, because I think a lot of people fall into these two fallacies. The first one you said is um, that I thought if I just worked hard enough, I could get everything I want, that everything I deserve would come to me or something to that effect. That was the first thing. And I want to dive into that for just a second. And then the second thing was that you talked yourself out of opportunities. And I'm going to start actually with that one, because um, this is something that I've been noticing just in myself lately. And I keep reminding myself not to believe everything I think. Um, and I wish that I had somebody, um, you know, a lot of speakers, if they're in really at really high profile events with like dignitaries, there's like a, a protocol expert behind them, just kind of like talking in their ear, right? Extend your hand, you know, don't extend your hand, don't make eye contact unless they talk to you, right? Like all this stuff, right? Sit down, pick up the right fork, you know, do the, all this stuff, right? And it's like, I wish I had a protocol expert that could read my mind and just like shut off all of that. Oh, they probably wouldn't want to talk to me about this. Oh, I could pitch that, but they probably aren't ready for that. Oh, they probably can't afford this fee. Oh, they probably can't do this. Right. Like I am constantly in my head about the stuff that I really want to do that I think is important. And then I'm like, oh, maybe now's not the right time. Or maybe I shouldn't put, send an email, or maybe I shouldn't call. I don't want to bother anybody. And I know that I did that, not just as an entrepreneur, but I did it through my whole career. And I know other people do that too. Can you give us just a couple of tips for how you've managed to kind of rewrite those narratives? Because that is a huge blocker for people in even in even exploring what they want to be successful at, not even going to go be successful at it. Yes. Um, so for me personally, it was a breaking point. Um, getting older and and just regretting not taking those opportunities or taking those chances. And through my own self-talk and working with others, the negative talk is there automatically. We don't take the time or we haven't gotten to, into the practice of challenging those negative thoughts. Um, so it's it's <laughs> it's okay to have a back and forth in your head. Let's just put that out there, okay? So if if you're having the self talk of, you know, I can't I can't speak at this forum or speak in this forum. I would say, one, I'm the king of questions. So I would say, what makes you think that? Why can't you? Um, and then your mind would automatically have the excuses and I would just attack each one of those excuses until you can disprove my argument against you. Um, Yes, it's it's not, there's no bow on that, but it works, (laughs) it works because a lot of people don't understand that, don't understand what they bring to the table. And if I can go deep for a second, Part of that is due to the society that we live in. We live in a heteronormative, cisgender, white society. So if you don't fit that mold, and I'm a Marvel Universe fan, so I I love the Loki series. If you don't fit that mold, you're a variant. And I'm saying it's okay to be a variant and variants bring things to the table, variants, are actually more interesting. Diversity is a good thing. So you may not, you may not 
match all these specific standards and that's okay. It's just like in, in the job search, um, people get discouraged when they don't match every single bullet of a job description. Okay, so what, but are you passionate about this work? Is there something you can bring to this work? Is there something you could bring to 25 or 50% of this work and catch up with the other parts? Or can you even rewrite this entire description to be more effective for both you and the company? Those are the things that people need to consider that being a variant diversity is not a bad thing. Um, so that goes on both sides, on both the employee side and on the hiring manager and organizational side that we are in an age where we need to embrace these differences, account for them and promote them as long as they match the mission of whatever we're working towards, as long as they match our purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's, you know, it's one thing to recognize, you know, I've, I've been in semantic debates with people about this because they'll say, well, you know, we, we need to be very tolerant. And I'm like, no, you need to be very celebratory because it's not about tolerating difference. And, and if everybody assimilates, then we're good. The idea is right. we bring in a lot of different perspectives and we hear from everybody because the more ideas we can get out on the table, the more likely it is we're gonna find a good one. Exactly, and, and, and I'm glad you brought up that word tolerant because there is so much weight behind that term that term is not um, welcoming. It's not. It's not. It's not embracing my my differences. It's. It's. I hear that term and it says, you know what? We're going to accept you despite being a misfit. You know, that that language is used with little kids. You know, my my five year old tends to act up, but I tolerate it. I'm not a damn child, okay? <laughs> My differences are not a problem for anyone. So to I was thinking about things that I tolerate, right? I tolerate an itchy sweater if I don't have an alternative, right? I tolerate traffic if I'm stuck in my car and I have to get somewhere, right? Exactly. Tolerating other human beings is not appropriate in any way, right? It's like, oh, you're here. Oh, that's tolerable. Like nobody wants to hear that. <laughs> Right, exactly, and and again, I I I am a INFJ. I'm a five on Enneagram. I go into rabbit holes on everything, and um, language is so important, and and so is leadership. So, if the message of tolerance is coming down, that is not welcoming. That is a sign of where someone really stands. Um, I, I would rather you welcome me than tolerate me. And that's something that employees need to be aware of. If, if the language revolves around tolerance, then that may not be a safe place for you to be. And when I say a safe place, I'm not talking physically, but mentally. We don't, we don't put enough emphasis on our mental health in the workplace. Um, and that's something else I'm passionate about and that we also need to change as I think COVID has brought that out um, 
everywhere, <laughs> whether people were ready for it or not. And that's something that we need to address in our society, both personally and in the professional world. Absolutely. Now, the other thing that you said that I th thought was interesting uh, that I think people need to hear more of is just doing good work and working really hard is not going to get you everything you deserve at work. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. And without sounding like a very old goat, I think that is a, <laughs> a generational perspective. Um, I'm Gen X, so I actually overlap a few generations, holler. <laughs> and, and I've been around long enough to see the shift from, it's, it's almost like a factory mentality where if I produce enough product, the supervisor will see me and promote me to maybe floor manager. If I do enough there, then I'll go to the next level. And that's the mentality I went into when I, that's the mentality I carried into the workforce and, and held on to for the longest time. So that's, that is why I, for a long time, I never looked for a job. You know, I figured, you know, I'm doing so good here. Eventually they'll see me and promote me versus going after what I wanted. And in order to do that, you have to understand what your needs are. So what do you need? Not what does the company need? What do you need in your life to make your work relationship a healthier relationship where you grow and you find some level of fulfillment? Your job should not be your ultimate fulfillment. And I think that's a myth that's out there where if I find the right job, I am going to be the happiest person on earth. I'm gonna do front flips when I go into work and back flips when I leave work. No, <laughs> that, that is not the purpose of work. Um, it's okay for it to fulfill some part of your life, but not all of your life. And I think when we lean on work to fulfill so much of our lives or work becomes so much of our identities, then we are no longer in control of our identities. Our, our identities are controlled by our management. So when management says, you're not performing well this year, well, then I am a horrible person and my self-esteem and goes down and I take that out on my family. When my manager says I'm doing well, I am the happiest person in the world, I'm the best partner, I'm the best parent. And that is giving too much power to your work, to your career. So we need to learn how to balance that. And I forgot the original question, but I thought I was just sounding amazing. So I went with it. I'm with you. And I, I forgot. No. So the, the, the original question was, you know, working hard just isn't, isn't going to get you where you want to go. And I think your point about identity is so important. This is a lesson I learned way earlier in my career than I wanted to. Um, I was, you know, fairly new in an IT role. I was, you know, like two years out of college. Um, I was also six months pregnant and the company that I was working for was being investigated for securities fraud. It was part of that whole like Enron, Arthur Anderson scandal. Yeah. And um, I mean, we were like so far removed from what was going on, but basically the place was shutting down and we were, I was in the first round of layoffs. And I remember like we had just bought a house. I was, you know, just gotten married. I was pregnant. I was like, I thought I had made it right. Like I had cleared yeah. some threshold of adulthood after which I thought there's no going back, right? Like I'm set. 
And all of that was just taken away from me in an instant, right? In that, well, you don't have a job anymore. The job, the thing that gave you this identity of being a real adult is gone now. And what are you going to do? And it was absolutely terrifying. Plus all of the financial pressure of like new marriage, baby on the way, new house, right? This mortgage that, you know, they always sell you a little bit more than you can afford because you'll grow into the <laughs> payment, right? And, um, and you know, this was right before 9-11 and the housing bubble and all of that. And so, I mean, I just remember sitting there going, oh my God, I'm worthless. Like I just, I felt worthless in that moment because I had so much of my identity tied up in that job title and that paycheck and, and that career. But then, you know, and then at the same time, I was working like being a mom into my identity, which was this whole other issue that I had to deal with, you know, for a long time. And so, yeah, it, it is, it's really hard to kind of put all these pieces together and then say, okay, this is who I am. And then one of those pieces gets taken away. Yes. And you're left wondering, well, who am I now? or what goes in that place, right? That's missing or whatever it is. Um, it, but on the specific point of, sorry, I'm talking too much, but on the specific point of, you know, this kind of heads down and get noticed thing, you know, I, I hear this a lot. I hear it from women, especially. I hear it from racial and ethnic minorities, especially. I hear it from first-generation um, Americans who are children of immigrants a lot where they say, you know, we say, well, I'll just work really hard and I'll get noticed. Or, you know, I'm waiting to get tapped on the shoulder for the right opportunity. And, and I've even heard people go so far as to say, I don't want to schmooze my way into a better role, right? Like I want to stand on my merits. And here's the problem with that. If you, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, yeah, I want to stand on my merits. Here's the thing. You can be the very best at what you do. You can have the most experience. You can have the best education. You can have the most degrees and certifications and do the best work and produce the most of it. But if it's all your hard work and accolades and credentials against Chad and all Chad's hard work and accolades and credentials, plus his dad plays golf with the CEO every week. And he went to the same school and is in the same fraternity as the hiring manager. And his family belongs to the same country club as the vice president. And, 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 and you don't stand a chance with all your credentials and your good work. You have got to put yourself out there. You've got to let it be known what it is that you want, what it is that you're capable of and how you can contribute at a higher level. And you need everybody around you singing your praises too, or you're going to be stuck forever working for Chad. Yes, and Chad is a good friend of mine. I went to school with Chad. Um, and one thing, again, that goes back to the to the standards within our society of what we're expected to be. That also goes into um, that also brings up generational wealth, not just financially, but in knowledge. So many, many recent grads um, have that same work mentality because whether they're an immigrant to this country or they've been here for generations, they may be the first to go to college. So they may be the first professional in their family. And everyone before that um, really had blue collar jobs. And um, in the blue collar job, 
you know, what you put in is what you get out of it, you know, and it's, it's, it's not, it's not a strange idea for that mentality to be carried over to these kids into their um, first professional careers. And how can we help with that? Um, becoming mentors, sponsors. I think um, higher institutions and high schools have a larger responsibility to better prepare these kids for careers. Um, beyond vocational schools, especially in higher ed, they sell this great education, but they don't teach these kids how to make a transition into their career. So there are so many new and recent graduates that have no idea how to really job search. And job search is just the umbrella term for networking. <laughs> it is all networking. Um, so it's, it really is a, it is really the responsibility of the community of people ha who have done it and people who are about to go through it to come together and say, this is what you can expect. Love that you have this degree or these multiple degrees, but you need to be able to hold a conversation with someone. <laughs> you need to be able to look someone in the eyes and relate to them. Um, and you need to understand that going into your job search, you need to have certain things in place. And those are your wants, your needs, your non-negotiables, um, what really comes down to boundary setting. We don't just boundary set in relationships, we boundary set in our careers. So what works for you and what doesn't work for you. And those boundaries really dictate your job search, who you work with and how you work with them. Absolutely. Brian, I want to thank you for all of the knowledge, all of the, the inspiration and insight you've given us today. If there's somebody listening who is thinking about, you know, they really want to level up in their career, they're not exactly sure how to approach that. What's the best way to get a hold of you uh, for your help and your services? Uh, thank you so much for having me. And I have many, many avenues. <laughs> Give me I'm, one, one avenue. I am Aries, I'm everywhere. So um, to reach me directly, um, you can find me on Instagram as the Woke Career Coach. Uh, you'll see more social justice equality content there, but I'm still there. Um, I'm on LinkedIn as Brian R. Newkirk. I have my own website at neo-pathways.com. And I am also available through a few other avenues, Career Clarity at getcareerclarity.com, Embrace Change NYC at embracechange.nyc. And I do some work with a very good friend of mine, Kelly Mirbot at youloudandclear at youloudandclear.com. And I'll stop. All right. Well, we'll get all of those into the show notes. So if you want to reach Brian, I'm going to recommend you go to Instagram, check him out at the Woke Career Coach or find him on LinkedIn at Brian R. Newkirk. And also check the show notes for all the other links. Brian, I want to thank you so much for your time today. So great having you on the show. Thank you for having me. Wasn't Brian's story incredible? 
What I loved about this interview was how vulnerable and honest Brian was about where he's been, why he was there, and what it took him to get beyond where he was and into a place where he feels more empowered, more comfortable, uh, more authentic. I think this is so important. These lessons are so hard to learn, right? It's a lifetime worth of work to learn these lessons. And hopefully hearing, um, hearing a role model share their story will help you on your journey as well. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Living Corporate and share us with your friends and colleagues. And you can really help us out by leaving us a six-star review wherever you get your podcasts. You may be looking at the app thinking, Amy, there are only five stars here. What are you talking about? Okay, give us all five of those stars, but then go the next step by leaving a couple of sentences in your own words, telling us what you like about the series or the episode or the guest. Don't forget to visit living-corporate.com to learn more about our other podcasts, videos, web shows, and more. See It To Be It is brought to you in part by Lead At Any Level, a certified woman and LGBTQ-owned business dedicated to helping organizations transform their reclusive nerds into inclusive leaders. Lead At Any Level. Leaders can be anywhere and should be everywhere. Learn more at leadatanylevel.com. That's it for this episode of See It to Be It. This is Amy C. Wanninger, and I'll see you next week. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.